From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Today we're going to learn about a nonprofit group in Syracuse that's dedicated to improving the lives of those affected by mental illness. With me in the studio is Marla Burns. She's a retired nurse and the president of NAMI Syracuse. That's the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me here today. Well, let's talk about how this organization began, because it dates back quite a ways. It does. It goes back to 1981 when families um, joined together to support one another when a family member had been diagnosed with a mental illness. And back in the 80s, um, the psychiatry profession was still blaming families for their loved one's illness. And so people got kind of fed up with it and decided, you know what, we're going to find out more ourselves. And they started supporting research on mental illness. And that's when I got involved back in the 80s because as a psychiatric nurse, I met families and I thought, these seem like great families. How could they have caused schizophrenia or depression? They seem very supportive and loving. So at that point, I got involved um, with the National Alliance on Mental Illness because I wanted to learn more, and I started going to their conventions and finding out some of the latest research on brain illnesses. It was very helpful to me as a psychiatric nurse. Wow, interesting. Well, the the chapter is here in Syracuse, but it covers more than Syracuse, right? Yes, it's um, our local chapter is the Syracuse chapter, but there's a National Alliance on Mental Illness New York State chapter that oversees all the affiliates in New York State, and then there's a national chapter and um, that covers the United States and some into Canada um, and other countries. So can you tell me about the typical member? Are, I mean, are, are the members mostly, I don't know, parents dealing with children or, or adult children that have mental illness? or? Well, the typical member, it started out as a family group where it was family members. And so it was people usually with an adult child with a mental illness. But over the years, we've really um, expanded. And it's people who have children with mental illness, um, certainly people who are still there to support their adult child who is is still struggling. Um, We have many people who themselves are recovery from mental illness who are involved with us and professionals who have become involved with the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Okay, so a mixture, really. It really is. Um, Our board is about half persons in recovery and half um, family members and or professionals. Well, let's talk about some of the programs, the services um, that are provided, because you have kind of a wide array of of things going on. We do. And one of the main things that we started with were support groups for families. Um, Currently, we have a monthly evening program and then um, once a month, a daytime support group. We also have started a peer support group in the evening. Um, People can find those on our website. Something else that we've really expanded is our Speakers Bureau, which we've always been willing to go out to talk to organizations, churches, schools, Uh, but now we have really specific programs. We have one program called Ending the Silence, and it's really geared towards middle and high school students to talk about what our mental illness is, what are some of the warning signs, and how often these illnesses strike, that these are not strange or weird things. These are medical illnesses, and they affect many people. 
In fact, we know that one in five Americans will, at some point in their lifetime, experience mental illness. One in four families is impacted by a loved one being diagnosed with a mental illness. So these are very common, and yet we don't talk about it. And still, the concern is if um, children are diagnosed with a mental illness, how they can be then a target of bullying in school. So again, part of our program is to address that, to talk about how these are medical illnesses and it can happen to anyone. So very, it sounds like educational and sort of destigmatizing. Absolutely. And I think that's probably my main mission is to educate, 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 that if people have knowledge and realize that these are medical illnesses, to know what the warning signs are, to know that they're treatable, that that helps fight the stigma. And certainly I think one of the most important things has been for people who are in recovery from mental illness to tell their stories. And I think what you're seeing now more and more on especially social media, you've got athletes coming out who are saying, you know, I've been dealing with depression all my life. Or authors who are saying, I've been dealing with obsessive compulsive disorder. Celebrities who say, you know, I've had a depressive episode before and this is what happened to me. Singers who say, I have bipolar disorder. So as more people come out and talk about it, it paves the way for normalcy. It cuts down on the stigma. That if, oh, if that person who's very successful in their life can admit they've had this struggle and they're doing fine now, Maybe I can too. Maybe I can talk about it. And I think I'm, I'm really grateful to the peers who are on our board of directors because they go forth every day with a great deal of courage talking about their struggles and their triumphs of dealing with a mental illness. At different schools and other organizations, right? Yes. Well, and reaching out to other people who are just in the, in the throes of their wow. illness. So that they know, oh, it's going to get better. What is the crisis intervention training? The crisis intervention training is to address um, first responders, police officers, EMTs. What happens in a mental health crisis? How can they deal with it? Um, Unfortunately, a person with mental illness is more likely to be shot by the police And part of that may be if a person's in the midst of a psychotic episode, they aren't really hearing what the police officer is saying to them. They're not really comprehending, you know, to to drop that knife or to step away or, you know, or to follow an instruction. So the crisis intervention training is really to equip police officers with how to approach a person who's in the midst of a mental health crisis. It's about calming techniques. It's about giving space, time, connecting with family to help intervene. And what we're seeing is a really positive response. Police officers don't want to be in a situation that turns bad or catastrophic. They want to help people. And police officers have been very responsive to this training. They Basically, it's a week-long training for them to be equipped to better handle mental health crises in the field. And Syracuse Police Department has been wonderful about it. All the local police 
have um, really grasp onto this. They really want the training. They want to know what to do. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Marla Burns. She's the president of the Syracuse chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Um, And we're going through some of the services that are offered and programs offered. Now, the website is easily found by Googling National Alliance on Mental Illness in Syracuse, but we will also have a link to that on the healthlinkonair.org website as well. Now, I know your website um, has find a doctor listings or find a provider kind of listings if people um, who are listening are looking for a mental health provider. Um, You also offer some residences. Tell me about Um, We have um, two residences that we operate, and we did that a number of years ago because of the issue of the lack of housing for people with a mental health diagnosis, and that sometimes people's discharge was held up because they didn't have a safe place to go. And so that's why we invested um, some of our money to supporting two residences. Now tell me how you became involved, because you've been involved for 40 years, right? Well, it's it's that long. Yeah, I've been (laughs) involved a long time. Um, First, I I started because I was interested as a nurse in knowing more. Um, And I do have a family history of mental illness. And now it's become much more personal. My son, 14 years ago, was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder, bipolar type, which means Basically, he has symptoms of depression, mania, psychosis, an eating disorder, some obsessive compulsive traits. So he, um, he got hit hard um, with mental illness. And his journey has been um, very difficult. And there was a period of four years that he was homeless and on the streets. Um, there was five months when he was a missing person and I had no idea where he was. Um, so there's been a lot of tears and um, agony over his struggle with um, his illness. Um, Fortunately, um, he has started um, to accept treatment um, four years ago, and he's doing well now. Um, He has his own apartment. He has friends. Um, He works on his music and his art. And we have a relationship again, because there were times when he was so ill, um, he didn't even know who I was. Wow. So you come at this, you've got a professional background, but you've also got a very personal experience with this as well. Oh, yeah, it's it's very personal. And, and that's what I think all the families um, bring to the table is that we have been on this journey, and we want to make it easier for the next family. Because families, when a mental illness strikes, they're bewildered. They don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do, who to call, who do I talk to. Um, what families say is this, this isn't the kind of illness that then your neighbor brings you a casserole because somebody in the family is sick. This is the kind of illness that people are afraid to talk to other people about because they're afraid of the shame, the stigma um, that it will bring to the family. And that's why we want to speak up. That's why we want to break down those barriers of stigma so that people can get more support from their natural support network. But in the meantime, that's why we're here, is that we are families that know exactly what you're going through 
So call us. We can talk to you. We can listen to you. We can be the shoulder you cry on. And we can help you in this journey finding help for your loved one, coping strategies for your loved one, coping strategies for yourself, because these are not easy illnesses to deal with. Again, though, sometimes a depression can be a mild depression or it can be a severe depression and lifelong. So you don't know what you got until you got it. You don't know whether this is going to be something that, okay, we can deal with this time and we've got it taken care of and you figure out more coping strategies and you got it under control, or is this going to be something you're going to have to pay attention to for the rest of your life to manage? So what would help? If you have friends that you know are going through a situation in their family that has to do with mental illness, would casseroles be welcomed? Or are there other things that people can do to let that family know we care about you? We don't know really how to help, but we want to help. What what would be good? Well, even just what you just said, Amber, that to say to a family, gee, you know, I saw the police were at your house the other night, and I heard that your son was suicidal and that he's at Upstate right now. My gosh, I, I don't know even what you're going through, but what can I do to help? Um, can I bring, you know, can I bring you over a casserole? Um, do you want me to walk your dog while you're at the hospital seeing your son? What can we do to help him when he comes home? Is there something we can do? But to even just ask those questions and let people know, you know what, I'm willing to be there for you. I'm willing to listen. And what happens, the more that I talk about my experience with my son, um, and, and I've had a depression myself, and and had great supports and was able to get through it and develop better coping strategies and ways to take care of myself, that then I know what people are going through and I can say that to them and I can say you know what I can listen to you I can help you find other resources and you know people people come up to you I wear this pin about that mental illness it's not a character flaw Um, people will come up to me in the grocery store and say oh well I've I've had a depression before or I have a cousin you know, who died Mm -hmm. by suicide. So I think the more you can be open about it, then people feel safe approaching you and talking about their own experience with mental illness, whether Mm -hmm. personal or a friend or a loved one. Well, I know some of what's um, discussed in the Ending the Silence program um, covers sort of the warning signs of mental health conditions. So um, I thought, can you kind of go over those with us? Warning signs of mental illness um, can be quite subtle. And sometimes what's the first thing is can be a change in your sleep pattern, having difficulty sleeping or sleeping too much. Or a family might see that they're normally very um, engaged teenager who loves to be going to dances and be involved in sports now has lost interest in those things that used to be important to them. So losing interest in the things that you always had a passion for. Changes in appearance. Um, somebody who's normally kind of meticulous about how they take care of their hair and their makeup. Now they've kind of lost interest in doing that. Um, people saying, I'm depressed, or I, gee, I have no energy anymore. Um, I feel rotten. Um, people who have 
find that they're getting anxious and worried and they can't really sort out where is that coming from. Um, so it's, it's feelings that change. Um, people may start having the trouble sleeping, changes in appetite. People can lose their appetite or else they can start eating more. People might start getting kind of paranoid, thinking, you know, I think people are listening to me. Um, I think people are watching me. Those are, you know, red flags that, you know, why, why are you feeling that way? Why, you know, what's going on? So people need to pay attention to that. And if, if a person is starting to experience that and you notice, then to say to them, you know what, why don't, why don't we go to the doctors? Why don't you get a physical? Because again, medical conditions can also mimic some of these things. Oh, sure. um, you know, a thyroid problem can cause trouble, create problems for you to sleep, can create anxiety, weight loss. So let's get those things checked out. And the wonderful thing that has happened in the last few years is that primary doctors now ask about depression, ask about the sleep disturbance, ask, are you under a lot of stress? So they're inquiring, they're opening that door so that people can talk about their mental health along with their physical health, because all of that is tied together. And anytime that people are starting to feel something different about themselves, they should go to their primary doctor, get a good physical, get some blood work done, see what's going on. Because the other thing that we know is that people who die by suicide 50% of the people that die by suicide within 30 days had seen a medical professional. They knew something wasn't right. And yet, maybe nobody asked about, have you had thoughts of harming yourself? Again, to open that door to find out, is that what's going on with this person? And it's important that people ask about that. If they see changes and think, maybe their loved one is depressed, to ask, are you having any thoughts of harming yourself? It's not going to cause the person to commit suicide. It may actually be the lifeline that they need to be able to talk about what's going on. Well, thank you so much to my guest, Marla Burns from the Syracuse chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. This has been Amber Smith for Upstate's HealthLink on Air.